1: Hello and welcome to The Athletic Soccer Show. For the last time in this World Cup, we're here to talk about the thrills and spills of everything we've seen at Qatar 2022. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host there. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the wonderful Kiva O'Neill of The Athletic. Kiva, how are you doing? How's World Cup life or post-World Cup life treating you?
2: Yeah, it's a weird world now, isn't it? No more World Cup and then we're right back into league cup and other you know football premier league return soon so yeah just when you thought you could have like a little bit of a break you just know full-on football football football
1: yeah no rest for the wicked we, we plow onwards in in this weird world that we inhabit at uh, kivi you ran the radar with karlanka throughout this tournament and i've loved watching the breakdowns of players it's been a really really wonderful show which bits have you enjoyed the most
2: Yeah, it was so much fun to work with Carl for the whole World Cup we had we had a good laugh and I think it's, you know, I I was saying to Carl on uh, Sunday after the final, like I'm just a pizza chart pro. If you watched any of our shows, we were obviously looking at Smarter Scope pizza charts, which kind of give, you know, a good balance of what players do on the pitch and sort of rates them out of 99. So I'm just an expert now after this, because obviously we've chatted through so many players. The radar was a big piece on The Athletic, which looked at 100 players at the World Cup. So yeah, it was a pretty big thing. So we kind of, you know, took a a video angle approach to it and and looked in depth at certain players on, you know, game days. So if the Netherlands were playing, I think we looked at Cody Gakpo, that kind of thing. We looked at a specific player that is on the radar and had a little bit of a chat about them. We had a few guests on, and yeah, it was it was good fun.
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like a, a wonderful kind of you know, relationship between the two of you on screen. I, I really enjoyed the, the kind of playing off each other and, and, and what you were doing there. So congratulations for for running a wonderful show throughout the tournament. And we're i really gonna talk, Well, I can imagine, like, this is it. I, I feel knackered from doing the soccer show, and I imagine you feel exactly the same from from doing the Radar. It's, uh, it's a it's world we live in, but it's, it's been a lot of fun, I think, either way. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of topics today. i going to split this into to four seconds. We'll talk a little bit about the best games, the best storylines. We'll pick a team of the tournament each and, and, and work through them and then just talk about a couple of players who shone outside of those teams of the tournament. But we'll start with best games. And I think we can only really start with the final. But I was hearing there was some drama in the UK athletic office during the final.
2: Yeah, so you picture this the penalty shootout after like the craziest, greatest game of all time. Just we've never seen anything like it. Argentina cruising 2 0 up, and then Mbappe, just 97 seconds of Mbappe, basically. And then obviously we go to extra time, Messi, Mbappe again. Then we've got penalties, and it's just like, whoa, this can't get any better. We're all there, we're around, we're watching it. Everyone's, you know, sort of huddled together watching it on the couple of TVs. We've got And then the yeah, the skybox goes down or says like it's go you know, when the TV's like, I'm going going for a rest now because it doesn't look like you're watching me anymore. And we were all like, No, we absolutely are watching you. So like everyone kind of like just panicked. People were like jumping up, like, whoa, whoa, everyone's running around. There's about fifty different remotes in the office for some reason. So, you know, people are grabbing different remotes. And then eventually it felt like that took ages. It probably took about twenty seconds, ten seconds, or something. Someone pressed back up, and we were fine. But it was just like managed to get my phone out in the middle of it all and take a picture of just the the chaos of, you know, when you can't find the remote and your TV saying, "Yeah, I'm going on to standby mode." Now and it's like it's the World Cup final penalty shootouts. You cannot go on to you can't go on standby right now. You just can't do it. So yeah, that was. Oh. That was quite funny because, you know, it's an adrenaline rush anyway, watching that. And that was, yeah, extra adrenaline on top of it.
1: Yeah, everybody madly charging around the office. It's one of those, you see those, you see those pictures in the pubs, but the last place you'd expect it is uh, the Athletic HQ in London.
2: It can happen to anyone.
1: It can happen to anyone indeed. But I mean, look, what a game. And, And it's kind of a funny one to talk about because, you know, we're discussing it. And if, you know, if someone had texted you after 70 minutes going, this is going to be the greatest World Cup final ever, you'd have laughed at them, you'd have scoffed at them because it felt almost too easy for Argentina for for the first 70 minutes. And obviously France have kind of done this throughout the tournament, right? They've had these games where they don't seem like they're doing anything and suddenly they spring into life and everything changes all of a sudden. But what we got for those kind of 50 minutes, the last 20 minutes of normal time, and then the 30 minutes of of extra time and the penalty shootout has put that right up there with, you know, maybe the greatest football games of all time to do it on that kind of stage.
2: Definitely, and I think we needed the 70 minutes before it just to make that the rest of the time better because I think France hadn't had a shot until Mbappé had a shot over the bar and I think that was around the 70-minute mark. And I kind of thought, OK, they've had the first shot now, which is you know totally unlike them. Uh, maybe the, the game will start from here. And then it kind of did because I'd, I'd written down, um, like, it's and out in my notes because we were doing Twitter spaces after the game and then the next thing it was just like no just an explosion of Kylian Mbappe obviously the penalty and then obviously that goal was just absolutely gorgeous the way he takes that I was like okay yeah this is a game now maybe it's not Messi's time and it made us all sort of question that whether it was it was time for Messi or not but obviously they prevailed in the end but yeah that is what made it so great I think that we just had sort of like 80 minutes of like okay yeah Messi, Messi, we were all getting used to the idea of Messi finally winning the World Cup. And then it was like, actually, France might win it again and be, you know, retainer, which would have been an incredible story in its own right. Obviously, it wasn't to be for them, but just phenomenal. I think it's one we'll look back on for years to come. And I don't know if it'll ever be surpassed. Like, surely it can be because we say this after great games in the past, but it just feels like it's up there as... Not just like a great World Cup final, but maybe one of the greatest games ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right in that the narrative arcs all came together, right? You, you often see finals. And I think even if you look back at like Argentina's Copa America win, Messi played well. But obviously, the, you know, the man who made it happen was Angel Di Maria. And then he was on target here, the man for the big occasion, it seems so many ways for Argentina. But when you look at these finals, it's often not the kind of star players that stand up and account it. It's often a a centre back, a header from a corner or, you know, someone who, who isn't maybe expected to be the the star of the show. And it felt like the two stars of the show who were hyped right to the, you know, to the max before the game were the two that stood up and actually made things happen for their country. And, and I think it's rare that we see that, which is probably part of it.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think we were all, you know, hoping for the Lionel Messi show or the Killian Mbappe show. And we kind of got part one and part two and then part one and part two again, repeated, you know, part three, part four, whatever you want to call it. It was just exactly kind of what we'd all imagined, but you couldn't imagine it at the same time. And I think that's, you know, that's what it this World Cup final gave to us. You know, it kind of, you know, we were all hoping for this amazing game. And for a long time we were thinking, OK, we're not really getting it. It's a sort of, you know, bit of a way to end the World Cup. Messi's going to win anyway. And then just it, it just come to life, didn't it? And I think, you know, went above all of our expectations of what a game of football can be.
1: Yeah and and I think that added all the emotion to it as well. It, it, if Messi had sort of sleepwalked to the to the title, it would have felt like there wasn't any he didn't go through any trauma any drama in order to actually get to the point where he was looking to be. And actually by the end you were like that man's been through the roller coaster. It felt like Argentina had had to win it three separate occasions, you know. And that's the kind of final that that you're hoping for. But we'll move on because I, I think there was plenty of of wonderful games to talk about and actually Argentina feature in, in the second on this list as well, which was their game against the Netherlands, which was brilliant for a load of very, very different reasons, I thought.
2: Yeah, I thought that game was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, obviously, that picture will live in the memory of both Argentina fans and Netherlands fans forever. With um, Once Latoro Martinez had scored the winning penalty and obviously before Argentina were racing to celebrate with them, but then they sort of turn around and they're gloating in the faces of these dejected and just devastated Netherlands players. And I felt like that just encapsulated sort of the fight and the spirit that is in this uh, this Argentinian team that they just want to battle all the way. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Uh, Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. I think maybe Argentina's football, you could say, is a bit more attacking and a bit more fun to watch. But I felt like it had that sort of dark arts. They were tapping into everything. They were just trying to get over the line. They just wanted this World Cup and they were going to do anything to get there. So that game, I think, obviously, the Netherlands come out of nowhere. We just was not expecting two late goals as it happened in the final as well. And I think Australia gave... Argentina late-scaring in the game against them as well. So, you know, Argentina, the writing was on the wall a little bit for them in terms of the sort of drop-off in the last 15 minutes of the game. I think they'd conceded most of the goals. Obviously, that's how the Arabia game as well, which you was know, one of the big sort of storylines of the tournament early on. Yeah, and then obviously where Khorst comes off the bench and just, you know, rescues Holland. is almost, you know, the hero forever. And then obviously, you know, goes to penalties. And penalties are just what every football fan dreams of watching. But it's just when it's your team, it just must be, you know, it is the di- most difficult thing ever to watch, isn't it? That's not the way you want to go out and see. And obviously I cover Liverpool. Seeing Virgil van Dijk step up and have his penalty save was, you know, I think quite a, a rare thing given... Um, the penalties that he's taken for Liverpool last season in important games and scored. So, yeah, I thought that sort of set a a negative tone maybe for the Netherlands, but that game just added all. And, I mean, I haven't even mentioned that free kick, which blew (laughs) my mind. I made a noise that I don't even know I could repeat again. Like, it felt like part of my body just was just like, I was just like, what the hell has just happened?
1: The audacity to try that. This is the thing, right? You know, if that goes wrong... Forever and ever, people are like, well, that was the worst idea of all time. And, and now it goes down as one of the great World Cup goals and one of the great World Cup moments. I think not just from this World Cup, but, you know, I think the Netherlands will look back at that and be like, that was a moment. And, and actually, that whole game was just kind of chaotic. And, you know, like you said, the, the kind of element of uh, ag- aggro to it gave it something else and and we haven't really seen that from from Argentina we saw a lot of different facets of them in this world cup that was the game where we saw the aggro the kind of oh they're not here to muck about they're here you know they're here to go to war in order for this trophy and you know the Netherlands gave as good as they've got and there's been plenty of conversations about you know sportsmanship etc etc that I don't think we need to necessarily go into here but Generally, I just thought it was the game that I was like, oh, they really won it. They, it's not the, this isn't a, if we get knocked out, it, it's a real shame. This is a, oh, we're going to obliterate ourselves in order to push ourselves to the final. And that was the moment I was like, mm, I think Argentina might win this.
2: Yeah, it just felt like they were going to do anything to get across the line for Messi, for Argentina, to get that third star above the the crest. It just felt like that game was sort of, you know, they nearly threw it away and obviously they lost the first game as well. There were moments when, I mean, Australia nearly scored very late on against them. Emi Martinez comes up with a great save, just as he did in the final, yeah. in the last minute of extra time. So there was these moments that sort of, you know, nearly went against them, but they were just just fighting and fighting to get over that line, and they got over it. So, I mean, they, they suffered. I think that was quote, wasn't it? You know, we've got to suffer. And, and they did to get over it, you know, physically, the demands of the game are so high and and they 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 put it all out there and and they got the biggest reward you can get in football and that's the world cup
1: yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was very kind of vintage Argentina. It was the Argentina I was looking for before the tournament. You know, you you want that element of okay, yeah, we can play beautiful football, but we're also happy here to you know to absolutely put everything, as you say, on the line to make sure that we get over it. And and it did feel like one of those. Um, I want to pull us back into the the group stages for a little bit because it feels so long ago, doesn't it? This feels like a lifetime ago that the, the the group stages were going on. But a couple of my favorite games of this whole tournament were to do with Serbia, uh, the 3-0 draw with Cameroon and the 3-2 loss to Switzerland. I, I think they'll look back at those and be like, you, you can't really be that keen on Serbia because those two games are actually bad results in the, in the grander scheme of things for them. But I came into this tournament and I was like, Serbia look fun and fallible. You know, they play with lots of lots of attacking flair. They don't really defend and it could all go right or all go wrong. And I think we saw the best and worst of them. Uh, across those two games.
2: It it was just
1: really, really enjoyable to watch, generally, I thought.
2: Yeah. Sorry, my house phone is going in the background. <laughs> like I'm I'm not I'm not answering any calls. I'm trying to rest and recover from the mad World Cup. But yeah, Serbia I thought were quite unlucky actually to to not advance that game against Switzerland. You know when you sort of like there's that many World Cup games and I was like, I might give this one a miss. And I think the games were on at the same time, was they? And yeah, I, I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch it because uh, you know I always like to keep an eye on Dan Shakiri at World Cups because he always seems to score one of the goals." And I put it on. And I was just like, "Whoa, this is this is a game!" You know, it was crazy. And I think their games were at the World Cup, so they're definitely up there. I think a game for me that sort of uh, changed the whole dynamic and I think quality at the World Cup was Spain versus Germany and that was quite early on it felt like after that game it was just like everything flipped and it was like okay it's a World Cup now we can start we can begin it felt like there was so much on the line and then I think you see Argentina Mexico similar when something's on the line it's like well okay now we're into knockout football and you know if you don't win then you're out and your dreams are over and obviously we know eventually both of those Their dreams ended anyway. And Germany didn't even get out the group, which is, you know, I think shocking in a lot of ways. No one expected that. I think that was the game I watched and thought, yes, this is a World Cup now. We're going to enjoy some really good games.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is it. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Argentina, but I think this kind of feeds into it. Like they felt like they were playing knockout football from game two. And, And at that point, you're like, oh, wow. Like suddenly Argentina are straight up playing for their lives with every single game that they play. And and I think that, you know, that kind of tension probably brought the group together quicker than, than everyone else. But I think you're absolutely spot on on, on Spain-Germany because, like you say, the quality level was, was so high and it felt like such a technically impressive game of football that you're like, oh, okay. And I remember people saying at the time, I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams got to... The world cup final and obviously that was a short-lived dream in the fact that germany were out by the end of the next game in this group but i think there was a fair point to be made in that after that the games felt like they increased in technical quality as well uh, as well as in importance and, and it was that kind of moment you're like okay if they're going to play like this and we're going to see them you know try and play out quite heavy european tactical systems that you see at club level i think you're now like okay how is everyone else going to set up in order to think about it? and i think you saw the the bigger nations start to tweak with with tactics you know maybe everyone except for france perhaps um, and and kind of tweak their own changes in order to try and subvert opposition and i thought that was a moment where i was like hmm maybe that's all happened off the back of how high the quality was in that in that germany spain game
2: yeah definitely i think it sort of Like you mentioned, Argentina, they changed a lot tactically after the first game and they had to come together and think, whoa, you know, they had that scare early on and that I think really helped bring them together. Like you say, Germany, similar, but obviously getting the draw was important to them. Obviously, they get the win in the next game against Costa Rica. I think it was, wasn't it? And Spain played Japan and obviously did the ball go over the line and all that. So it just felt like so many mad things happened and each sort of, I think, That round of fixtures, the final group game for most of them were just incredible. There was, we were counting yellow cards, I think, to see if Mexico could go through. Uruguay went out on yellow cards similarly. We were just like suspended between time and space and yellow cards. It was, it was phenomenal football and, you know, to watch them sort of play out at the same time and and everything, the drama one unfold. I don't think you you get anything quite like that in in any form of football, but I think you, you get it at the World Cup because everything is on the line and, you know, when the final whistle blows and it's going towards that and, you know, this team's going out, but everything can change. It just it felt like, you know, just such a an amazing sort of time I remember watching that in Tifo's offices and it was just like we were all like looking and being like yeah if they get another yellow card and we're like we're all becoming like yellow card fair play experts and (laughs) they just need another goal and then they're you know doing the maths as the game's going on I think back to that and think you know that was really quite quite fun
1: yeah, I mean, I, I'm always drawn back to, and this takes us quite nicely onto storylines generally. So we'll move on to that after this. But I, I think the one that really springs to mind is the Saudi Arabia goal against Mexico, which literally didn't mean anything. It's like I don't think you ever have a goal like that. You know, we knew Mexico needed one more to go through. It would have been in terms of you know their goal difference was was level with Poland, but their goals scored would have gone ahead of them. And so the Saudi Arabia goal meant actually nothing. It's like one of those really strange moments where you don't see that in football, you know, the game goals that, that don't do anything in order. And the fact that they're pushing forward and it doesn't matter if they concede as long as they score another one. And, and so like all of the kind of things going on in your head at the same time to try and work out, as you say, the maths around it and, and what, who needs what felt amazing. And we had, you know, as you say, two back to back days you know, where where all everything was on the line. Obviously, we had, you know, group E and Group F in that Germany, Spain, Costa Rica, and Japan went chaos. And then before that, we'd had the Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, and Canada game where Lukaku missed all of those chances but could have put Belgium through. And Croatia came third. (laughs) You know, they could could have so easily gone out in that last group game If, if Lukaku had been, you know, back to any sort of shooting form and they finished third at the World Cup. And then afterwards, the day after that, we had the Switzerland, Cameroon, Brazil, Serbia group, which ended in such drama, but also the Uruguay, South Korea, Portugal, Ghana group. And it was like those two days felt like the purest of World Cup moments.
2: Yeah, it was just amazing. I think when you, you look back on that and everyone had made these predictions, like this team's going to go through, like Belgium are getting out the group, Germany will get out the group, like all these different teams. There was still hope for Uruguay later on, Mexico. Like... And then it just all crumbled for different teams, and other teams, you know, succeeded in those moments, and it was just, yeah, like it just it did feel like a a fun time. And then obviously you go into then pure knockout football, but it felt like we got a massive taste of that before you know the 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 uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals, and all the drama that then unfolded.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, if we're talking about best storylines, I, I think it's probably time to go to Morocco because this was a run for the ages, I think in so many ways. And and it was it was so nice to see it in front of a crowd that was so, you know, vociferous and also partisan towards them and and, and I think it's a run that not only is it a wonderful run for, for Africa and the first African nation to to make a semi-final, but also for the Arab world, world as a whole. And I think generally we looked to Morocco as the feel-good story of this tournament.
2: Definitely. And I think after they'd won, what game was it? I think when they beat Portugal to go through to the semi-final, I'd gone to Trafalgar Square and there was like Morocco fans just sort of gathered and celebrating. And, you know, I was just tapping into that and I put some videos online of them and just to see that like coming together and, you know, you could, tell that it was such a special time for the Moroccans all over the world and definitely was in central London. I think that team are just like all heroes now. I think it was a shame for them to to not, you know, get that third place because I think that would have been historic moments, as you say, first African team to reach the semifinals and everything that went with that journey was so special. So, you know, didn't really need to end third place with the third place, but I feel like, you know, it would have been really nice for them, but getting to that semifinal was just... What an achievement! Reg uh, Raggy only took over, I think, like just over a hundred days ago, and it was like you know he just turned the team around. They hardly can see goals; they were just working for each other. I think you know when we come into the World Cup, we're like you know you pin your favourite Brazil, Argentina. You talk about all these teams, England, and then you know you have a team like Morocco who just pull it together for the World Cup and put in these amazing, incredible defensive performances scoring important goals and having these amazing moments and then you're seeing like the moroccan mums dancing on the pitch and you know um hugging and kissing the sons and that like just all it went with it just felt so pure and beautiful and one of the the best world cup stories i think we we probably ever had and definitely just a joy to watch
0: this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think Edgeware Road was a, a particularly special place on that Saturday night. It was obviously a quite strange one because England had lost and all, that like, everyone was celebrating Morocco, and I was like, "This is quite a nice." Um, a nice kind of dichotomy of, of how cultures intertwine. So, yeah, it was it was lots of fun, and and I thought Morocco were brilliant, and um, Japan too, who. Maybe played the most chaotic group stage of all time. You know, you're looking at that group beforehand and you're thinking, right, Spain and Germany are the two big guns in this group. Japan are the kind of wild card third place that could kind of go anywhere. And Costa Rica are probably going to struggle considering what we've seen from them. So Japan managed to beat Spain and Germany and lose to Costa Rica. And the whole thing just became absolute chaos. It was like the moment Japan beat Germany, it was like, right, on for Japan. And suddenly they lose to Costa Rica. And you're like, oh, it's off again now because they got beat Spain. And then they go and do that. It just everything was just mad and chaotic about Japan.
2: Yeah, that group was special, wasn't it? When you you look back at it, and Japan were great value. I thought they were, you know, no one really expected Japan to, to go through. I don't think, you know, they were, I guess, outsiders for for uh, to get through. And I think. Um, Probably like looking back, you know, you wouldn't have really, you would have just thought, yeah, Germany and Spain. I think that's what we all kind of just, yeah, Germany, Spain, they'll go through, you know, when you're looking through each group and we probably didn't give Japan enough credit there. And then, the yeah, two, two massive uh, results for them. But then it, that sort of sandwich between this Costa Rica result, which was a little bit baffling. But yeah, they played some really fun football to watch and it was a shame they couldn't go further really because it was, you know, um, I think just just enjoyable to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's another one where Croatia edged through after probably being the the worst side, and look where they've ended up. And it does make you kind of wonder: where, how could how far could Japan have gone uh, if if they had won that penalty shoot out? Um, we come on one more in terms of storylines to Gonzalo Ramos, whose story you could talk we could talk about in the kind of players who who made a difference segment. But I think this is all about the storyline because it's one thing coming on and and scoring a hat trick in your World Cup debut, but I think when you're talking about this to kind of exclude the context of it, would be mad. Like the fact that he had been thrown in to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, in a knockout game for Portugal, and he went and performed in that regard, scored that first goal, obviously, which is just an absolutely glorious strike. But he goes on and, and, and kind of goes, I'm here, I've arrived, the past is finished, the future is here. And I genuinely was taken aback by, by that performance full stop.
2: Yeah, that was when Portugal looked a lot like Brazil had looked in the tournament so far. I was like, hello, who are these? Like, they really turned up. And when you look at Portugal's team, it's just quality all over the pitch. And, you know, you would have expected them to do a little bit better at the World Cup. And I think they'll still be disappointed they didn't go further. Especially the, you know, Ramos, like, he he turns up there and scores an incredible hat-trick. Like, one of the best World Cup performances I think we'll see. And then in the next game... Portugal struggle, he struggles, and and they go out, and it just, just that's the World Cup, isn't it? But yeah, he he's definitely put his name in lights, and I think a lot of people will be looking at him now. And you know, he's I think it was he twenty one, so he he very much feels like the future of this Portuguese team. He can be, and there's you know so many players there already, so it, it's difficult to to you know show up and and be a beacon of you know the future and it just feels like he's gonna be and when you consider players like Diogo Jota missing and and others as well in that squad it's difficult to get in and when you get in you've got to make a big impact and that's exactly what he did he stunned us all I think with that performance we were just blown away.
1: Yeah, I mean, good, work, good work up for Benfica with with Ramos doing that and, and Enzo Fernandes, who, who we'll talk about a, a little bit later. Um, but with that, it's probably time for us to move on to a team of the tournament. Um, who have you gone for, Kiva?
2: Well, I mean, there's a fellow called Lionel Messi. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> I think he's wearing,
1: he's wearing your armband, end. yeah.
2: Yeah, um, captain, leader, legend. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, you've just mentioned the think get in, but I'm losing count because I've just kind of got a list of players that I absolutely love. So I'm just going to kind of name them, and we can have some on the bench and some as a team as well. Mbappe, obviously, Griezmann was phenomenal up until the final, and then yeah, Argentina just stifled everything that he'd been good at up until that point, and he just that was it. It was just like that was the end of his tournament and he just did not look like the player we'd seen throughout because he was probably player one of the players of the tournament up to that point. Um Jude Bellingham I think was phenomenal. He was involved in I think almost all of England's goals from open play which is remarkable and he just he just looked the absolute business. Uh who else have we got? I mean I have to just give shout outs to Jamal Musiala. I think he's so incredibly talented for Germany. England will still be absolutely gutted that they've missed out on him. Obviously played um youth football for for England at international level. And then it feels like mentioning Bellingham, Musiala. you've kind of got to mention Gavi and Pedri as well of Spain and Barcelona, because they just they just look about twenty nine, both of them, and it just shocks me how young they both are. They're just yeah, brilliant footballers uh, Morocco. I think is a
1: really important point there in in the in the Musiala thing because I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm sure I'll get pelters for this, but I really really enjoyed Roy Keane's comments when they were like, oh Musiala could have played for England." He was just literally like. It literally serves you right. It serves you so right. He's like, you've got Rice and Grealish in this side who are both nicked from the Ireland youth ranks. So to have one going from the England youth ranks to the uh, German ones uh, did put a smile on my face, I'll be perfectly honest with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is a good point from Roy Keane. He, ma- he does make them. I think uh, Morocco, I wanted to mention, obviously you just chatted about them, but Amrabat was just... Sensational. He was everywhere, wasn't he? He was brilliant. thought Hakimi, right back. Mazraoui, left back. I think they were like almost the full backs of the tournament. I think he stood out. Theo Hernandez for France, I thought, had a really good tournament. Uh, Croatia, we have to mention Vardial. He was, I thought, magnificent centre-back. Yeah. Uh, Luka Modric, and I've mentioned loads of midfielders because I'm kind of obsessed with them, but Luka Modric, what a last stance that was. He just he just ran every show for Croatia and it just felt like he was is he like thirty seven or something now and he's yeah, just still he just
1: feels ageless, doesn't
2: he? Just putting in performance after performance. He like, you know, with like this is his last World Cup, but would it like would it shock any of us if he shows up in uh, three and a half years time? Uh, no, not too. still going it, you know. Um but yeah. Canarte, I thought. I've mentioned quite a lot of Liverpool players. It feels, no, but I but, thought,
1: I think this is a fair shout because I think he came in in difficult circumstances and did brilliantly.
2: Yeah, in the final, he was absolutely boss. He plays that pass at the end in the last, like, seconds of the game for the big chance. Uh, I thought he, he'd made a, a good impression of himself for that limited time he was on the semi final. He was just rock-solid defensively, thought he was brilliant. Obviously, you know, he doesn't get picked for the final and upper a thinks I think, has a great game. Yeah. In the end, he, he he was really important for France. Had they won it, they'd be looking back on a few couple of blocks he made. were great. Uh, another centre-back I'd like to mention, I've totally, like, probably missed out the whole field yeah. here of different yeah. well, people. I, I think there. we're
1: just checking him in now. There is a the up uh, yeah.
2: Stoke City's Harry Suter, yeah. I thought he was, he was just, like, I did the whole piece on him because I was like, "This guy's amazing." Um, yeah, he was he was great at centre back for Australia, just heading everything away, pretty much like the tallest fella in there. That just yeah kept winning headers. And, it was amazing yeah. though
1: because he's just come back from obviously a really really serious injury. He's played barely any minutes, and he stepped into this World Cup like he's been playing you know top level football from from the second. He was it was absolutely brilliant from the jump for Australia yeah. I thought. And you know when you pair that with the side that wasn't expected to get out of that group that you know that beat Denmark down into into fourth place who we'd all pretty much locked down. You know we said it earlier about uh, Spain and uh, and Germany's group. But generally I think I was more convinced that France and Denmark would get out of that group than anything else across the board. I was like that is that is going to be a walk in the park group for France and Denmark and it just wasn't at all. And and to knock them out and the Danes out in that way after the performances we saw at the last Euros, I thought it was, was absolutely sensational. And Sutar in that last game against Denmark, just incredible.
2: Yeah, amazing. Some really great individual performances this World Cup. And I thought, I feel like goalkeeper-wise, you have to just give it to Emi Martinez now because, I mean, the goalkeeper that wins the World Cup has to, has to be... Doing bits like we've, I think I've mentioned, and I'm just going to keep talking about that save in the last second where he just sticks yeah. his leg out. That was, I mean, that the World Cup has won for France in that moment, and he just denies them, and then obviously he's the hero of the shootout again. And yeah, I think you can't really look at anyone else when you're picking a goalkeeper, just because he's yeah, he's Aston Villa's goalkeeper. He's just won the World Cup. It's what a journey he's been on to that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. I think it's really interesting though because you know uh, we've seen some of the discourse around this that Emmy Martinez's chance came when Bird Leno got injured by Neil Moore in that game against Brighton, and uh, someone brought it back even further. I think it might have been the very own Jay Harris who was like, "It's mad to think that Brentford signing an unknown spent the French striker uh, from from this league there has actually led to Argentina winning the World Cup," which which really did make me laugh. Honestly. Uh,
2: football like if you did paths,
1: the dominoes things, yeah it's
2: just mad isn't it like the effect of different transfers and different things all kind of culminates in this which is yeah pretty cool
1: yeah I mean I, I think I would have had Dominic Livakovic in this conversation until the World Cup final I, I completely agree with you I think after that you then have to probably just put it to the side and be like it, it is Dibu Martinez's time and, and that's where we're at but I thought Bono and Dominic Livakovic had had really really good tournaments as well. And um, I think no one saved more shots on target than than Livakovic. Um, he, he was faced more shots than any other goalkeeper at the tournament. Croatia didn't do that great a job of protecting him. Uh, um, but he was there when he was called upon. And I'm sure there's plenty of people looking at him and going, "He's Dinamo Zagreb. Maybe we could get him out of there." Uh, and towards the end of his career, yeah. So, so for
2: them, you've mentioned they're just walls, weren't they? And it was like, yeah, you you know, not one's getting past these.
1: Yeah, 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 and especially in penalty shootouts. As you get to the end of it, you're like, "Oh right, it's these 2 I'm not sure how this is going to work, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think those three goalkeepers very much far and away uh, the the stars of the show. And before we go, Kiva, I just wanted to talk about a couple of players who shone, who who maybe aren't part of this team of the tournament kind of vibe. Um, you know, you talked about Cody Hackpo right at the start of this. You know, you're were, were talking about him doing him on the radar, and and he's a player that feels like he's earned himself the move that's kind of been in the offing since the summer?
2: Yeah, I think he, you know, everyone was expecting big things from him at this World Cup, but kind of not at the same time. He kind of could have went under the radar and that would have been fine, but he just turned up and is the player that everyone thinks that he is. And, you know, this is why so many big teams are interested in him. So he he had a really good tournament and it had you know, the Netherlands managed to get past Argentina, he would have been vitally important to them. And, you know, we could everything could be different now. I'm sure Holland fans will be thinking the exact same. You know, what could have happened had they won that penalty shootout, could they have, you know, won the World Cup. And if they had, you know, on some other planet, then Cody Gakpo would have been absolutely integral to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Mohamed Caduce springs to mind. Obviously, Garner didn't get out of the groups, but he was another one linked with big moves in the summer, never quite came off for him, but he was integral. He played about five different positions across the course of three games. I, I've been, you know, it, admiring him from afar for, for quite some time, but I feel like this is the moment he sprung into the, the public consciousness.
2: I think a World Cup can, like, make a play, and it felt like it, that's what happened for Caduce. I, I feel like... A lot of players you kind of like, you hear about and you don't really get to see unless, you know, there's a sign of your club and then you go onto YouTube and look for a compilation of what they've been doing elsewhere. And I think the World Cup's great for that because we're all watching it. And as soon as you see, you know, a player that you like, it's like, yeah, you know, if you have a good performance at a World Cup, then. Everything can change for you, as we know, like players, there's plenty of them that will be signed on the back of this World Cup or, you know, have been scouted now or, you know, probably a lot of them have already been scouted and clubs are keeping eyes on them. And, you know, they turn up at the World Cup and put in performances, then, you know, that's then leads to probably, you know, a transfer or whatever. But, yeah, I think the World Cup is a great place to, you know, um perform and get a lot of a lot of credit and a lot of people watching you
1: yeah 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 it feels like leicester city are about to do a supermarket sweep of of everyone who was half decent in the world cup in order to save their season but we'll see how it pans out um we will move on but before we do um i I didn't think us listeners were going to get get away without me uh, giving tim ream some well-earned praise because tim ream came into this side this us squad having not been picked for over a year um and started every game he's been absolutely phenomenal for Fulham this season in the Premier League a real leader on the pitch has worn the armband uh, in the absence of Tom Kearney and I think he basically didn't put a foot wrong and and you look at that and you look at kind of an elder statesman in the dressing room for a very young US team um, and the way he speaks the way he led on the field and the way he led them off it as well um, the comments that he made after it being like look you've got to enjoy these experiences you never know when they're going to come around again I won't be ready for the next tournament but you know there will be another a, a set of players who comes through and gets this opportunity I just thought he was absolutely sensational and and i thought it was worth worth praising in, in this segment i'm a massive tim reen fanboy at the best of times but um it, it felt like one of those opportunities that i couldn't let go past uh, without praising him akiva before we finish this off um this is the last 32 Team World Cup tournament. Obviously, the next one is going to be very, very different in a number of ways. We're going to move up to 48 teams, which I think in in, in lots of ways is a really good thing. I think there's going to be more representation and um, from the AFC, from Asia, from CAF, from Africa. We're going to get a guaranteed team from Oceania, which we haven't had at a World Cup before, which is which is really cool. And, and from you know Calf and Bowl, those spaces are going up as well. Europe has got the least amount of gain. I think it's 13 to 16 teams. But I think in terms of what we've seen at this World Cup, maybe that's an interesting point to to kind of go down, is that we've seen maybe a little bit of a change in the guard from the European dominance we've seen over the last 20 years. Obviously, Argentina winning it is one thing, but also I think we've just seen less European dominance across the board. I'm just kind of closing thoughts on on, on this World Cup, because I saw the wonderful Moussa Conga write on Twitter, or write a piece actually, where he said it was the best of World Cups, it was the worst of World Cups. And I think... He summed it up quite nicely in that regard. On the pitch, it's been absolutely sensational, I think, from, from almost start to finish. We've barely seen any poor games. It's been incredibly full of, of drama, of chaos, of karma. There's, there's been lots to kind of enjoy. Obviously, that doesn't take away from the issues that have come around off the pitch. But it's been a difficult one, a busy one, and a lot of fun at the same time. And I, I feel all sort of mashed up inside with it all.
2: Yeah, and obviously we know it's a controversial World Cup and it's been important that, you know, we've been talking about those other stories just, you know, away from the football because we've, you know, we have spoke about the football so much and that is what we're here to do. But I think it's important we shine a light on, you know, human rights, workers' rights. Those, those issues are important. Obviously, at the start of the tournament, we had the whole One Love Armband and LGBTQ plus fans feeling, you know, Not great about that, given, you know, the the U-turn and how sort of, you know, it was a matter of hours. And I think this World Cup has been important for, like I say, shining a light on those issues. And I think that's something we'll continue to do and people have been doing work and for a long time to do. And that'll continue to happen till 2026. You know, I think it's important that, you know, we don't just talk about the football and we talk about everything. I think, you know, that's that's definitely what we've been doing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But on terms of, in terms of recording, in terms of talking about the football, it's been a whole lot of fun and I've absolutely loved doing it here on the Athletic Soccer Show. I think it's probably time for us to finally pull down the curtain on this World Cup. All that's left for me to do is say thank you so much, the wonderful Kiva O'Neill, for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you to everybody for listening across the course of this tournament. Thank you to the wonderful Mike Zimmerman, our producer, who has kept this entire operation running throughout the whole of this World Cup. Um, Thank you for listening and have a wonderful holiday period if you're celebrating. Take it easy. Thank you.